You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today is Christian Fennes. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. We're, we're all very excited to be speaking with you today. My pleasure. Yes, we're all big fans of your work. About a year ago, we did an episode on the Endless Summer album, so it's exciting to get a chance to speak with you today. And this year marks the 25th anniversary of Hotel Parallel, your debut album. So let's go back to those early days, those days in the 90s. What spawned your work after being in was it multiple bands or or were you or is that the were just the one band before your solo work? Well there was there were a few bands, yes. Um but there was one main band actually in the in the eighties, which was a a Viennese um underground rock band. A little bit like I don't know, uh, the Sonic Youth or My Bloody Valentine, this this kind of thing. And um, but I I got really frustrated with all the the band paranoia, <laughs> you know. Just I I wanted to work alone, at least for a while. So then, back in the nineties, in the early mid nineties, um, equipment became available affordable, you know, like samplers or small Mackie mixers and dot machines and and computers, of course. So suddenly I was able to produce my own stuff and being on my own in my room and, and, and you know, make, make the music just like I wanted it to sound. With the availability of this equipment and especially like you mentioned computers did you was there anyone else at the time that you were around who was also using computer as an instrument well there was the mago crew like peter reberg and roman bauer and and all these people you know involved with the label and farmer's manual for example also um and these guys were all a bit younger than me and, and really, really smart with computers, you know. I was I was okay as well. But they gave me a lot of inspiration, I must say. And but you know the the old rock dudes, you know, that I've worked with before, they had no idea and no understanding for what I uh, was trying to do. That came later, maybe. But basically I was going really on my own, very, you know, yeah, my own road. And so when when did you end up meeting up with Peter Rayberg? Obviously, rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, when did you end up connecting with that crew? Well, when I, when I started producing my own music uh, for a while, I really thought... I'm the only person in the world doing this, you know. <laughs> and, right, right. And then, then slowly, I, I connected to the electronic music world, and I was sending a demo 
tape to Colin Newman from the band Wire, because Colin was just starting his swim label at the time, and then Colin got back to me and said, hey, you should actually connect to Peter with Peter Reberg in Vienna. And Peter was a DJ at the time. He was really special. He did all this ambient noise, um, industrial stuff in a club called The Blue Box. So I went there for a few times, and then and one evening I started talking to him and asked him if he would be interested, and he said, yeah. Well, he knew me from the all the other bands that I was in. And then that's how it started. I gave him a a tape, and that was my first release on Mego, which was called Instrument, a 12-inch. And about what year was that? That was 94, I think. Well, we, we did get a chance to talk to Peter a few years ago. Yeah. And, you know, he was talking about how at the time in in the mid-90s, yeah. And even up until the later nineties, how you playing, you, you know, bringing the laptop and that was what the gear was for a set was really shocking to a lot of people at that time. Do you recall that? Yeah. And stigmatized to an extent. Yes. Yeah. No, it was, I mean, very soon we got invited to play at like improv jazz festivals and stuff like that, but they hated us. You know, it was, <laughs> I remember it was sometimes. It was even dangerous, you know. They, they just didn't, they couldn't understand how you can make music with a computer, but it's just another instrument, you know. You have to be, you have to have musical ideas to do something with it. Otherwise, it's just, it's nothing, you know. It's the same with a guitar, you know. I mean, I'm, I think I'm a proper guitarist, you know, but you have to, have to know the instrument to play something interesting, you know. And it's the same with the computer. Yeah, and you've been playing guitar since you were a small child, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've even been teaching guitar. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, classical guitar. Well, I mean, certainly the tones that come across on your album just have such a pure and lovely quality. Thank you. When did you start getting familiar with Computers, was that something that was always interesting to you as a kid, or is that something that developed in the 90s when you were learning all this equipment? Well, you know, uh, it was a typical computer career somehow. I mean, I started with Ataris, you know, back then. and But I've always been using samplers, especially in Sonic samplers. I had the uh, EPS 16 Plus and ASR 10 and did quite a lot with, with these samplers. For example, as you mentioned it before, the Hotel Parallel album is it's only Ansonic sampler and Atari running Cubase, but only MIDI. You know, there's no, at the time you couldn't record anything. That's wild. Mm. <laughs> Gray, are you familiar with that sampler? The Ansonic? No, I'm not, but I, I can imagine <laughs> what, what uh, you know, the earlier samplers had uh, a lot of limitations in terms of memory oh and God. functionality. But that was a good thing. That was the good thing because you didn't have many options. So you had to be really careful with what you're doing. 
But the looping options in the sampler, especially at the Indian Sonic, it was just amazing. And it also had amazing effects. So I think I had a sampling time of, first I had like two seconds, then I had four, and then I had the maximum 16. This was like heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's one of the things I think that, uh, computer-based recording has really opened up and even I've been dipping my toes in it more and more lately and the you know going from the limitations of something like an early and sunny sampler to mm. nowadays where you have every VST and, and weird effect at your fingertips yeah. the it's almost hard to narrow down what to use and mm. how to use it I feel like the more options you have the less you actually get to know and learn your instruments or your tools I agree. Absolutely. We have too many options. I mean, I've got everything. I've got all these uh, plugins, a lot of software, you know, and I'm, I, en- I end up doing nothing sometimes, you know, it's, it's overwhelming. So you enjoyed having those limitations? I seem to respond better to a situation like that, you know, um, and actually We've been just moving in this place here two weeks ago. It's a new apartment that we have, and and I have to downsize my studio. So I really want to have everything to fit on one table. And really, I mean, um, just concentrate on on the software I um, I know I can I can work with, you know, and and stop doing these constant, you know updates, you know, buying more and more, you know, it just gets you away from making music. That's that's very, very true. So software you were using early on was Loop. Is that one of the big? Yeah, Maximus P uh, Loop, exactly. You you say it. Um, it's a patch that a, a, a few friends of mine had made back then, and I'm still using it when I play live, for example. It just works for me. It's, it's great for improvising. And it's also great for for finding sounds in the studio, and then I keep on working in Logic. How did you find the transition from working with the Ensonic Sampler to using something like Max MSP? Well, the great thing about that loop patch in, written in Max MSP is that that the guy who made it, Klaus Philipp from Vienna, he was also an Ensonic user. So it's very similar to the, the structure of, of the Insonic samples. And when did you start branching into uh, sort of more VST and soft synth type applications? Well, as soon as, as they were available, actually, I, I always had everything because I was so interested. I wanted to know what's good for me, what can I use, um, how can I use it? Um, But then it's, as I said before, it just became a jungle of, you know, plugins, so you don't know what's good and what's not good. I I still stay with the same stuff, like the GRM tools and and Max MSP and and some really Arturia uh, plugins that I have. But that's it. It seems like with a, a lot of what's happened with software for make you know for creating music and especially like actual software instruments is that back when this was new, back when you were creating 
your your earlier works, it was exciting and and there it was yeah. new frontiers. There were people were pushing out and and exploring the boundaries of what could be done. And now a lot of what you see in the sort of soft synth market and whatnot is uh, recreations of vintage synthesizers uh, on exactly. your desktop. <laughs> Um, exactly, it's the only thing that they seem to do, you know, or another uh, tube compressor or whatever, you know. I mean, I have, I still have outboard gear here, but I want to get rid of it. But it would be so lovely if they would keep on doing things like they did in the nineties. There was one company, um, God, I forgot the name. They made really, really interesting new plugins. It was a German company. I, I can't remember the name, actually. It was built after how the human brain is working, you know, so they were, they were using these uh, networks of the brain, you know, to make audio plugins, and that was extremely fascinating, and, and they're gone. And now everything is like vintage and, and retro, you know. It's boring. Are there any contemporary software instruments that you like using that have sort of a fresh take on how to create? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm still using Reactor native instruments a lot because it's so handy. You know, if you need something for a film soundtrack, for example, you can always find the right, the right sound and then you can you tweak it a little bit and it becomes something special. Yeah, I'm... That's what I'm using. Otherwise, Arturia, the French company, they have this, uh, the Synclavia, for example, which I use a lot from, you know, this famous instrument from the 1980s that yeah. you know, people like Peter Gabriel and, you know, Sting or whatever, whoever were using, which was like so expensive. And now they have a plugin that sounds really great, you know. Or the CS80 Yamaha synth, the Vangelis synth, I really like to use the plugin. You, when you started working solo, you said you were not really wanting to work in a band setting. Were you also thinking about playing live, or did you have any interest in playing live in the beginning? No, I was so naive, you know. I thought, oh, I'm going to end up like Brian Eno sitting in my studio just selling records, you know. <laughs> and and never play live again, you know. But there would have been a relief. But exactly the opposite happened. As soon as my records were, were coming out, I mean, I got so many offers to play live. And since now, since almost 30 years, I'm, I'm just touring all the time, you know. <laughs> Do you still enjoy it? I enjoyed it until a long time. Um, it, first of all, in the beginning, you know, it just made me nervous and all that. But, but then I really got stronger and I enjoyed it. And then there was a time where I thought, okay, I mean, it's getting too much. It's becoming too much. But since my wife uh, is traveling with me, and that's, it's, that's already like 11 or 12 years ago when she started traveling with me. Since then, it's great because she's also my manager and, and she enjoys traveling and she takes care for everything. So that's become easier again. That's a game changer to have a partner with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful. 
So in between Instrument 94 and Hotel Parallel 97, what sort of developments were you working on at the time, sonically? Um, <clears throat> well, I also, after Hotel Parallel, I did that record for Touch, which was a plus 47 degrees, blah, 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 yeah. That's the coordinates of your backyard, correct? Exactly, and that's... Mm -hmm. uh, a <laughs> former backyard, yeah. And <laughs> well, well, right. <laughs> that's a very noisy record, in my, at, at least in my opinion. Yes. And back then, everybody was trying to make this really, you know, um, computer-generated, really abstract kind of music. And, and that was the time when I discovered, or, you know, I remembered my past and and where I'm coming from, which was the pop and rock music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, you know. So suddenly I thought, I mean, with all the equipment I have, how not to try to make a really interesting, weird pop song, you know. And that was actually how In the Summer uh, started at uh, Hotel Parallel, the last track is already going in that direction. And it was placed at the end just for that purpose to to make my listeners, you know, to get them prepared for what's, what's, what's going to come. So it was around then where you realized, oh, maybe I should add this stuff that was part of me before exactly. I started doing this solo stuff. Yeah, I thought, why not uh, putting some kind of emotion again into this kind of music, you know? Uh, why does it have to be so abstract? And actually, sometimes, some people were absolutely great in that, you know, but some were terrible. And I just wanted to, you know, strum my acoustic guitar again, and, and, and you know, that... I really wanted to have uh, song ideas kind of hidden within the music I made. Traces of, of 70s radio or whatever, you know. It was plays before Endless Summer? Yes. So that was sort of the real precursor to what Endless Summer would become. Exactly, yeah. And those are two deconstru very deconstructed covers really in quotes yeah well the stones cover is really deconstructed even if the the chorus is there if you listen closely but don't talk to brian wilson the beach boys cover i have a version with uh, brian wilson singing on top and it makes total sense it's it the fits. same song mm -hmm. yeah Pet Sounds release where they also released all the uh, the vocal recordings from the studio. So I just took it and put it on top of my recording, and it's absolutely working. And that's oh, you've never actually released that. I mean, clearly there would be no, that would be, a well, that would be yeah, that would, that would <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be. So that's just that's a that's a private. Uh, I can send yeah. it to you if, just for you to use. <laughs> that'd no be problem. so cool to hear. I will do that. Oh, that'd be so cool. So after plays, w were you working on Endless Summer at the same time, or or was did you 
do plays and then immediately start working on Endless Summer? I did plays first and then Endless Summer. Um, I remember we were, there was a Mego tour in Australia and we went to Australia and, and Peter and I actually were, were staying at a, a very nice apartment directly at Bondi Beach Road, you know, so we could see the surface passing by from our window. And that's where I got these ideas, you know, to make something almost like a surf sound or pop surf music made with computers. You were also into surfing at the time, right? You were... Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I wasn't very good. My brother was a great surfer because he used to live in Bali. And when I visited him, he just showed me how it works. And well, for a few times I was standing on it and took some waves, but I was not really good. <laughs> <laughs> I was more into the the overall philosophy of it, you know. Yeah. And the, the title of Endless Summer, of course, taken from the, the Bruce Brown documentary, Endless Summer, exactly. uh, yeah. about surfing. And he actually made one of my favorite documentaries uh, on any Sunday, which is a, a dirt biking and motorcycle documentary in a very similar yeah, yeah, vein. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. Right. So the tour you did in Australia, was, it was you and, and Peter? It was me, Peter, Farmer's Manuel, and General Magic. These, it was Mago bands, you know, I'm not, they're not working anymore, or some of them do, but um, I think it was just Peter and me who kept on working after all this, you know, after the 90s. Well, and Peter would also incorporate similar stuff, especially in one of, you know, one of his all-time classic tracks, Get Out 3, with the Morricone yeah. sample, were you guys talking about this stuff back then and, and try and working on talking about incorporating the melodies and the noise and the computer stuff together? Was this just something that you guys were really interested in doing back then? Not really. No. I mean, Peter and I, we were just, you know, he was one of my only beer buddies here in Vienna. So we used to meet like once in a month, having some beers together and talk about everything, you know. But um, we never talked about music very much. Just talked about everything else but music. What we did, I think, both of us, we, we always watched the other one, what he's doing, and we copied each other, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's the best way to work. And you would also, of course, work collaboratively with him, one of the classic projects being Fenoberg. When did you yeah. end up... Me, uh, meeting up with Jim O'Rourke. Oh God, that was very early. Uh, that was in the mid nineties. In a, in a at a very small improv festival in 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 Austria, Nickelsdorf. That's how it's called. And Jim was there, and he said, "Oh, he's he's a fan of my of my record instrument." Hotel um, Paradise wasn't even out yet. And we had a jam session all together, Peter, him, and I, at the festival. And it worked so well that we actually decided to um, yeah, start a band. But that was a great band, because before I told you, I was always 
had problems with bands, but uh, this was something different. This was just like three solo artists sometimes meeting and doing something together. Were those sessions all done in person? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Always, yeah. Actually, we um, for, for many years, Fenneberg was a Japanese band because Jim didn't want to uh, leave Japan for many years. But Peter and I had to go there, record at the studio, and then we went on, on tour in Japan many times, actually, three or four times. What type of bands did you play with in Japan? Were they more abstract or more musical? It was very different. Sometimes it was very just like sitting on the tables and doing some work, but I remember there were some shows where Jim was completely flipping out, you know, and jumping on the table, and <laughs> and the audience was going crazy. It was, it was quite a rock show sometimes, you know. Oh, wow. Amazing. I've never seen yeah. footage of that. I'd love to see Oh, that. that was amazing. And I remember that was in, um, there's an equivalent of, of uh, Las Vegas in Japan, and it was this city, and there were all these really old nightclubs, and we played in one of those, and it was just amazing. Jim flipped out. He was <laughs> going mad. <laughs> <laughs> and when, now when, when, some, when something like that is happening in your set, how, how do you react to that? Do you, do you go with that, or do you just... Of course, kind of because it was all improvised. You know, we had to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was good fun. Fennelberg was great fun. Every, Every Fennelberg tour was, was great. Oh, that's so awesome. Now, you said with the early band stuff, there was inspiration from bands like Sonic Youth or My Bloody Valentine. What electronic stuff really spoke to you back in those early days? And then how did that transition you how did that help you transition into making electronic music well <clears throat> um of course brian eno early stuff of eno um also also german music crowd rock a lot uh david sylvian rich sakamoto ymo that's the early stuff, you know, but then later on, of course, people like uh, Seafield, uh, Aphex Twin, Otecker, something like that. You've gone from working at home in your backyard, like the album Untouch, two studios back to working back home. What are the differences for you and how is the approach different? Well, for many years, I was having a, a really great studio in, in like a main big studio. I had a room, I had Studio B, uh, which I was renting. And back then, I had, I had a drum kit there, everything, you know. It was all the outboard gear and so, and so on. But as we just spoke before... Um, there was a moment where I thought I don't need this anymore, you know. I mean, I can really focus on on a few things that I have, and it actually is better for my music because it really makes me compose or produce something that's, that's more interesting. 
and actually I do work. Otherwise, if I have so many options, I, I have the tendency to become really lazy, you know, and, and not doing anything in the end. So that's why I gave it up, went back to my apartment using my my daughter's former bedroom, she, she's already 25, and started working there again. And it actually worked perfectly well. It was like in the old days when I started, because it, back then I had a bedroom studio as well, you know, when I did the first records. And now we have moved here, and I'm, as I said, I, I really want to set up a really small but perfect studio, you know, which where everything fits on one or two tables, and that's it. And I can really focus on on that and not, you know, having too many cables, too many microphones, too many, you know. <laughs> I don't need a drum kit anymore. If I need a drum kit, I go to the studio, you know, and... and, and mm-hmm have someone playing who can who can do it a million times better than me you know and that's also if i want to do a mastering i go to someone who can do great masterings and and i know i'm not as good as this person then you know all all i can do is create music create ideas and record and i think i'm quite good in mixing but then the next step Mastering, for example, has has to be done has to be done by someone who's doing this professionally. That's my opinion at the moment. I'm downsizing, but I want to have it perfectly well. You know, really, really good stuff, but not much. And I think mastering too, having someone who's not so someone who has the distance from a yeah, recording, who's just who yeah. can just he you know. If you try to master something yourself, you can get in your head because you know exactly what you did and and you're so close to it. When you can have someone who can step away from it and do it, I find that can be a big help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. What were these studio albums then? Uh, There was Venice, Black Sea, a lot of the collaborations like the Sandra album with Richie Sakamoto. Some stuff, yeah. Actually, all the stuff I did with David Sylvian, uh, all the stuff I did with the Norwegian band Ulver, the uh, former metal, now more 80s pop band. Um, actually, the first album that was not made there was my last one. Agora. Yeah. That record was made in your home studio and yes. on, on headphones. Yeah, that's true. And listening to it, it sounds almost strange to think that because it's such a an expansive record. The pieces are very long form and and detailed. I notice when I'm listening to it, uh, you talk about h- hiding hints of melodies and and mm-hmm. the sort of like '70s pop under there, and you can very easily get lost in a focused or sort of meditative state while listening to it. But then there's always some detail that that comes out of you. It's like looking at a a uh, wave pool or something and, and you just get a little mm-hmm. reflection that kind of brings you back and then you start to sink back into it again. How much of your process is like processing and, and mixing once you've gotten your sounds down? A lot, a lot. Um, I think with my music, the mixing is almost part of the composition 
because while I'm mixing, I'm getting new ideas, you know, and things are evolving suddenly. And, and sometimes when you mix, uh, there's another melody coming to the surface, you know, and, and then you want to capture this and do something with it. So it's, it's a long process and it's not only the recording and uh, sound design, whatever, it's the mixing that makes, that finishes the composition. I, I think you can really hear that in your work because there's, so there's just so many different sort of layers and things that keep evolving that you maybe didn't notice before that slowly come to the mm. forefront and all of a sudden you're somewhere else in the piece than sort of the last thing you remember. And I, I like that it's almost like uh, waking up from a dream for, for composing Agora, you're using soft synths and you're using, and you're using guitar. Yeah. Um, how is that compositional process different from something that's maybe a little more uh, direct, like Black Sea? Um, well, I had to keep it simple because of the limitations of the room and the equipment. But, um, I mean, for me, it was the same except the fact that when I did Black Sea, you know, I was like recording classical guitars and stuff like that, you know. This I couldn't do with Agora. I just had, you know, a few soft synths and the guitar and, and, and you know, Maximus P and Logic, and that's how I did it, and my pedals, of course. But, you know, um, I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, every record is... It's completely, even if this all sounds the same, many are saying this, but it's, it was a different approach for me. And this time it was just a more minimal approach. I definitely don't think all your records sound no. the same. I think no. they set very different moods. And mm. something for me, something like Endless Summer and then there's Black Sea, almost in a way they're... Well, that's true, yes. There's a different, different mood. Yeah. They're almost a yin and yang because mm. I feel... Black Sea sets a very, well, it's, uh, to me, it's a much darker mood. Yeah, yeah. Is that reflective of where you're at in your life at that time? Is it what you're thinking about? I mean, I guess when you go in to record, what do you need? What sort of frame of mind do you need to be in? And how long does it take for you to get that urge to make the album? Uh Good question. It's always different, but you're right. Of course, I'll, I'll start with this. Um, Black Sea was a sad record, yes. Uh, I was in a mood that was, I just didn't know who I am at the time, you know, and, and what's, what's going to happen in the future. I was a bit lost. But, you know, but also this vulnerable uh, situation you're in, uh, sometimes produces great stuff, you know. Sometimes it makes you do things that you normally wouldn't do. And it was the same with End of Summer. Uh, End of Summer was a love record somehow, you know, <laughs> a collection of love songs. And, yeah, melancholic, of course, and a lot of longing and, and a lot of emotion in this record. But it, emotion isn't all of, in my records, I think, but... But when I did end the summer, I was flying high, you know, 
when I did Black Sea, I was down there in the ditch. <laughs> and, and I still like it, you know. It's not that I, when I listen to it, I'm not very much listening to my records. But if, if I hear something from Black Sea, I'm, I don't have any bad memories, you know. Because making them, the process of making the music was great. But my overall state, mentally, back then, was not the best. And in between those two was Venice. How do you see that fitting? Very, very good state, actually, yeah. <laughs> I went Similar to Similar to Endless Summer. Yeah, I went, I went to Venice, uh, and I was renting a place there for some weeks and I, because I wanted to record it there. There was this amazing heat wave, and they had no air conditioning. It was like oh. suffering. <laughs> but, you know, at least I, I did two tracks there. I just brought laptop, guitar, and, you know, a few devices. I did the first, the opening track I did there, and another one. It was great. I had a good time there. I was eating well. <laughs> well, of course Important. yeah you're in venice and that and that and that tr- album has has a track with with vocals on it david sylvian yeah exactly and so there's that was that just it was that the first time you worked with him no a second time um was that, okay i did, I did a, a a track with him for his uh album Blemish, which is called A Fire in the Forest. And yeah, we became friends somehow and still going on. We're still chatting on a weekly basis, I would say. And it's great to work with him, really. He's a great guy. How did you first connect with him? That was interesting. Well, I think when I did Venice, I I was asking my label, Touch, in London, if they could get in touch with uh, David Sylvian's management and ask if he would be interested in singing on one track of mine. And then David wrote me uh, directly and he said, yeah, I'm doing this if you do something for me. So that's nice. how we did we did a fire in the forest, and that was already it was just like after end of summer. It must have been in two thousand one or two thousand two, and then we met. I think he played in Paris, and I was there and went to see a show. And I just wanted to add. Uh, David also introduced me to Ryuichi Sakamoto. I was touring in America back then and uh, had a show in New York and David actually called Ryuchi and Ryuchi called me in the hotel room and he said, hey, come by and let's jam a little bit. <laughs> and that's how that started. And that was, I remember that very well. That was in 2003 when I met Ryuchi in his townhouse in Manhattan. That was great. That's so cool. And that was actually what I was going to ask. You know, you talked about having, you know, being into these guys for so long. And then now here you're in this opportunity where you're working with with these people. You know, 
Yeah. It just must have been such an exciting time getting to meet these people that were so influential to you, and then not only meeting, yeah. but getting to work with them. Yes, it's amazing. I mean, I, I didn't expect it, but it just happened, and I'm, I'm grateful, and these people became friends, you know, and I've been touring with both a lot, and always great to see them. Is there someone on the list that you're just your your dream person to work with? <sighs> or or a couple? Yeah, Miles Davis, but he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure there's plenty yeah. of people who the options aren't no, there I anymore. Say, I, I was I'm really grateful having been working with actually so many amazing people I wanted to work with before, you know, and it all happened. And he's also gone, Mark Linkers from Sparkle Horse. That was so great. And I've been touring with Mike Patton in a duo, which was just outstanding, you know. We had so no much way. fun. Yeah. What's, so, what, are, what, are those, what are those sets like? It was all freestyle, improv, but very noisy. I mean, I just had amps on stage, play guitar, and laptop both, and, and Mike had all his, his pedals, you know, and, and the microphone, it was, it was really cool. I mean, I have a recording from uh, Montreal, I think, it's just amazing, and actually we should release it one day, I think. It was really noise music, but, but oh, so much, you know, I don't know, it just worked, it was a meeting, we met, he invited me to play with him, you know, and it worked all of a sudden. Absolutely no problem, no rehearsal, nothing, not even a, a sound check, just a line check and we started, you know. And that's how the tour was in 2008, I think it was then. We never had a, we never had a sound check. We played like 15 shows in a row, you know. But <laughs> instead of having a sound check, we, uh, Mike always preferred to eat really well in a in a very fine, like Michelin star restaurant. <laughs> That's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> so, when doing these collaborations, do you find that you tend towards guitar or laptop, or is it is it the same sort of thing? It's just your general setup. I would say it's like a network of two things or three things. You know, my 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 guitar. Uh, the laptop, uh, the pedals, that's it. And that's my instrument altogether. But, yeah, I mean, sometimes I, I just played guitar. For example, when I was touring with Yellow Magic Orchestra, we did uh, a lot of gigs together. I was just playing guitar. But also this guitar goes through a laptop and has some effects from the laptop on it. <laughs> it's It's... That's why I'm saying it's a network of a few instruments that I use. Yeah, it's all, all one thing combined together. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I still, I, I still send just a stereo, you know, that's it. You've done a lot of collaboration. Was this something you always wanted to do, or did it just start happening and then you found that you were really enjoying doing collaborations and wanted to do more and more? You know, when I do my solo stuff, it's it's really exhausting and I need a long time to get something sounding like I want it to sound and uh, I'm taking my time because I want to have a 
good record, you know. At least I should think it's a good record. But there's a lot of spare time in between, and sometimes I, I think I can learn also from other people how to see what they are doing, how they're producing, how they're playing. And, yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, if you work alone like me all the time, you're getting a bit desperate after a while, you know, you're just lonely. Mm. And, you know, when all these great musicians came, there were so many more, actually, uh, and wanted to work with me, I just said, yes, why not? Let's try this. Do you find that it feeds into your solo work? Everybody you work with has does something, of course, on you, and even if it's just a little, little part. But no, <laughs> <It's> my <laughs> solo work is just like what I think is the right thing to do. Might sound arrogant, but um, you know, there's already such a body of work, I don't want to start suddenly and make a, a dub record. Maybe I do, I don't know, but not, not obviously, you know. I mean, just because I played with King Midas sound for two years, you know, which is dub. So I, I really want to keep the, the, the finesse solo as one thing and the collaborations where I'm completely open to anything as another thing. Well, you do take... A, a fair bit of time between your album releases yeah. and a lot of people sort of in the underground or experimental scene seem to kind of constantly be working and, and revamping ideas and releasing sort of smaller releases or more, more releasing things more often. Mm -hmm. um, do you find that your inspiration and development of your sound comes from these sort of longer periods? Are you, are you working on something or, or collecting source in between, or does the, does the recording come sort of in a burst and, and then you start working on the record? Uh, well, it does come in a burst. Yes. It's somehow true, but actually I must say that always in between these times, I've, I've been doing like smaller projects, like a seven inch or a 12 inch, you know, or, doing film soundtracks or uh, working for, for uh, contemporary dance pieces and also which is actually making me money because I have to live from something, you know. So um, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, also I'm lazy to <laughs> sit down and record, you know, <laughs> and doing something else. It's not only uh, being lazy, but it's also the expectations I'm getting higher and higher, you know. So, and and you, you ask yourself, am I able to fulfill these expectations anymore, you know, or not? And and then, of course, I'm doing money jobs like like film or theater or dance, you know, installation work. But I'm always working in a way, you know. I'm even if I'm lazy, I'm lazy with my own stuff. Because it's such a big, big step always to make a new album. It's like writing a book. Right. And once you've made something that you consider your best, the you don't want to you don't want your next thing to not feel that same exactly. level of, of yeah. quality and accomplishment, right? Uh, yeah. It's it's difficult. 
I mean, uh, the older I get, the less I care actually about that because I think people who know me, who know the records, they know what I'm able to do and what I'm not able to do. And I think they find a balance to see what I am. Well, it's been been about three years since your last Mm. record. So does that mean there's something new on the horizon? Are you working on something now? Well, I hear that almost every day now from my <laughs> wife and my label. <laughs> but yes, of course, yeah. Um, as I said, we just moved into this new place and I'm setting up a small studio and, and the plan is to start working then, yeah. It's going to be a, a horror again, but I will do it. <laughs> <laughs> and your label being touch and touch, mike, yes, yeah. mike harding mike, how did you end up linking up with mike um god we've met very early i was still you know i was always doing both Migo and touch and you know why because peter was doing the same back then you know he was releasing on touch and on Migo, on his own label and also on his friend's label and that's why i also did that but um, it was never a problem for me. It was more a problem for the others, but I didn't care. So the next one's going to be in touch, yes. So looking back on something like Hotel Parallel, you, you said you're not someone who's necessarily going to listen to your own work. I, most, I, I would assume most people are fit into that category. But of course, for whatever reason, sometimes for a, you know listening to a new master of something or just going back, when you, even even just when you have to put something up on, on Bandcamp or something, you end up hearing it again. Mm. How does that record sound to you now, 25 years later? Uh, you know, I'm happy with it still, yeah. It was, of course, a time of exploring new things. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I have already had found my tone back then, but... Uh, in a way, yes, and no, it's nice to look back. It's nice to listen for me. It's not something I'm ashamed for or something, you know. It's, it's okay. It's nice. <laughs> I can't imagine is, is being there ashamed is of there you've done that, Yeah, Is there anything you've done that you are ashamed of? <laughs> oh, yeah, many things. Before, before I started my electronic career, my God, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) 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 But it was, it was really when you started working. So that's when you really felt like you started coming. That's why I'm taking, it takes me so long, you know, to have, to be so absolutely sure that this is at least uh, that I can stand for it. You know, that it's something I can, I don't have to be embarrassed about. Uh, So, yeah, that's why my, my finesse solo is such an important thing to me, you know. Do you get mixing fatigue? And, and if you know when you need to step away when you're working on your solo work? It's just, you know, it's becoming too much sometimes, you know. So uh, I think I should, uh, I should actually have a break, um, take a deep, deep breath and start again. That's what I'm doing sometimes, you know. Not sure if this answered your question. <laughs> well, yeah, just that time getting, you know, when you're when you're in it recording a record, you 
do you, do you ever get sort of lost in it and you yeah you have to well, take a take a few days off and then yeah, get yeah, well, back into it that's exactly what i was trying to say i mean it's sometimes it's like i'm i'm, I'm almost in a trance like uh situation or condition you know where where everything happens automatically you know and sometimes i can't even rem- remember how i did that but sometimes there are these uh, days where I'm just not getting any further. And, and, and interesting enough, the tracks that I'm working the longest on, they never work in the end, you know. It's always the ones that, that you know, happen just like that, you know. And Did Endless Summer come together like that? As, as a listener and as a listening experience, it feels like maybe you hit on something and it just came out relatively quickly yeah there's a freshness it did it was like that i mean i don't i I can't completely remember but i think i recorded in the summer within two or three weeks that was it wow and then there was quick mixing and that was it yeah i don't know it was uh when i once i had this idea of bringing back melodies you know or traces of melodies at least and playing the guitar with the computer or through the computer, then it suddenly just unfolded. It was, it was there. It was a very, very interesting times uh, because it was so new, you know, there was nothing like that. When, when did you start to see people, uh, I guess, warm up to the laptop and computer sort of combination because i'm sure that it was it was unusual for people when you started doing it yeah but it was uh it was after endless summer and i mean i think i was lucky because there was such a great review great reviews in america actually and and that's why people you know um listened and and looked at it in a different way. There was a Pitchfork album review, and it was so high, so highly rated. And I know it's it's terrible, but it actually makes uh, it makes a difference. You know, suddenly you get booked. Suddenly you people buy your records. You know, it's like that. It's it's the business. And then people were suddenly also you know, accepting this kind of weird combination that they, that they before just didn't want to understand, but then it was there. Hmm. I mean, now in 2022, no one bats an eye when you see a laptop on stage. It's not even, there's no, it doesn't even, it's the same as seeing any other instrument on stage. Yes. Yes. I mean, could you, I mean, I bet that you couldn't even, Back in the nineties, it must have been like there's this is never going to be no one's ever gonna <laughs> yeah. accept us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there were moments where I thought, okay, maybe um I should play guitar again, which I did afterwards to play guitar and laptop. And and this also mm-hmm. uh uh actually uh was nicer to see for the people, you know, because they could see a man work, you know. Because when you do do a laptop they they think you're just playing some games or whatever, you know. Even if you work ex- even harder than on guitar, because you know. 
I'm very computer illiterate. I've never been able to use that sort of stuff. So what exactly were you doing on that laptop on stage? And, and was it, were you, was there source going into the computer that you were manipulating or was it already all in there, especially in those earlier days? What exactly were you doing? I've only ever been working with my own recordings, my own uh, guitar samples and recordings. And then in this software I was using, I had like four or five loop players where you could uh, uh, transpose them in real time, like as much as you wanted, up and down, you know, make them like, I don't know, 50s you know, octaves higher or lower and, and also in between. And then I have to, I had to mix these uh, sim simultaneously playing sounds together. You have to imagine it like a, a modular system, and then everything goes through effects, so you have to also work on the effects. And then there are synthesizers, small passages of synthesizers, where you can play a melody maybe, but you have to play it right, you know. And then the guitar goes in <laughs> through a, a live patch, through effects, and this has to fit to everything that's already going on. So it's like a live mixing situation. And with what I'm still using, I can't save presets. It's always, I always start from scratch. Wow. So it's like, actually like a jazz musician playing, you know, I have to improvise, but knowing all the, the procedures that made, that make me able to having something sound like this and that, you know, so it's like an instrument playing. So you, it's actually, you, you don't save presets. It's actually every night you're going I in. I can't. I still don't use Ableton Live. I mean, I have it on all my computers, mm. but I find it, I will have to use it at one point, but I'm still using this very unstable patch that enables me to improvise and to do something from scratch every every night. It's different, you know most of the stuff that you're doing is contained in the computer, right? Yeah, well, it's on the hard drive. It's my sounds that I've been recording before. And what I said before, I mean, I, uh, that was always my thing, just use my own sounds, my own guitar playing, even if it doesn't sound like guitar in the end. Mostly, mostly, it's, it's always guitar and sometimes synthesizer, but mostly it's guitar. Do you use a controller? For your laptop, do you have something external that allows you to modify? I have, I have it, but I don't want to carry it around. I'm just I, I use my finger on the on the trackpad. You know, it's <laughs> it's very stupid. I know, but um, it's been working like that for so many years. So I always think, why changing this? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the so aside from those early days of people being less than enamored with seeing a laptop on stage, especially in those very early days with you guys. Agora, which was the last album as we've referenced a few mm -hmm. times, fantastic album was certainly on our Thank end you. of the year list of the whatever year that, what year? 2019? Yeah. Yeah. 2019. 2019. Yeah. The the name Agora is a reference to being alone, right? Like agoraphobia. Is that correct? Well, there's, there's a few references. This is one. Sec another one is that uh, 
it used Agora also used to be the old Greek marketplace where where you were exchanging news and all that, you know, where you yeah. It was like a newspaper place or something before they had newspapers. And there's a third meaning that my wife told me, which I have forgotten about. <laughs> no, there is this. Yeah, exactly. It's a Portuguese word as well. But agoraphobia is, of course, uh, something that uh, came to my mind when I did it because I was very isolated back in that time. And it was just before the pandemic, which was so weird, you know. Mm -hmm. well, actually, I was, I was isolated already before I had to be isolated. Was that just where you were at mentally or? Um, <clears throat> no, I was okay, but I just didn't feel like um, going out and seeing people. Well, I had no mental problems, but it made me understand how it could be, you know, if you have agoraphobia. But agora does have a very isolated feel to it. Did you find that people have connected with that over the past couple of years? In a, perhaps in a larger scope than than expected when making it? I think so, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, many people told me that it was like a, that I've seen the future, <laughs> what yeah. is going to come, you know. This was not intentional at all, you know, but that's what people were saying sometimes. So, Yeah. Many also said it helped them going through the pandemic. Maybe you can see the future. We yeah. have laptops and the plugins <laughs> and the equipment. Oh, no. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Do tell. Yeah, yeah, maybe you are a soothsayer back in the in that Prophet. Greek market. Yeah, yes. exactly. Back in that Greek marketplace. <laughs> The Agora, or the Greek news. I don't think uh, so. Agora. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Right. Oh, well. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and the 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 cover of that is that that was a picture that was you you took that right? Yeah. Well, no, that's John Rosencroft from Touch. He's doing. Oh, I don't all know. For the some artwork. reason, I thought that. No, no, no. I never did that. I'm, I would be very bad in that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, this is not my thing. <laughs> Well, it fits the record so so perfectly. Yeah, yeah. No, he's great. John is always doing great stuff. Happy with so him. So with the art, you like to work with other people? Yeah. As and I said how before. Does that, so, how does that process work? Well, I, I give him all the freedom he needs. If I don't like something he's coming up with, uh, I'm telling him, you know, no, this doesn't work for me. And then he, he makes something different and, and it always works in the end. But I really, I think you should let people do their job and do the stuff that they can do well, you know. I mean, I, I've, I'm not a good uh, visual artist. I know, I know that, you know. So I leave it to people who are professionals. Same with the mastering. As we said before, you know. Just having someone else whose line of expertise that is come in and add their bit to it. 
Yeah, I think uh, making an album is always collaboration somehow. You know, it's 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 many people working together. Of course, the, there's the main idea, but then uh, I enjoy it actually to if other people bring in their ideas how to to make how to make the whole product look, sound, etc. Et you know, it's I, I like that approach. And how was your working relationship with Peter? And how did, did, was there feedback given? Did you guys, was, you know, when you turned in something, would he have anything to add about it or any, any sort of input? Or was it very much you handed over the record and it was accepted? Yes, more or less. I mean, Peter was also very, very direct sometimes, you know, if you, if he didn't like something, he said, this is shit. <laughs> <laughs> and know? did that happen? And I said, okay, I got it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Happened once or twice, not very often. Uh, but mostly he was always happy with everything I did. So uh, he was also the one who, you know, when I started making End of Summer, I remember I've been giving him a tape and he was like, all these endless summer songs, but there was always a little abstract track in between every song, you know. And I remember I was in, in Manhattan in a hotel, uh, and Peter called me and he said, you know what, throw away all these abstract shit, you know, let's just make a pop album. <laughs> and that's what we did, and he was right. So uh, in a way, he was like a supervising producer some, sometimes, you know. And he was very good in that, very good. He just knew, um, you know, what's good at the moment, what's, you know, what's, yeah, where it's happening. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And, you know, obviously, Peter was someone you were very close to. Yeah. Th throughout all this, I mean, when you know, I know we, we you know we and we've talked to a lot of other people who've worked with Peter, and you know he was such a such a big personality in so many ways, yeah. Yeah. and could just make you crack up, mm. and also tell you something you were doing was absolute yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> but those are those are the kind of people. Those are those are the people that will always yeah. live on. I mean, do you, is there you have any? I don't you know I don't know any. I obviously have a million memories, but just. You said you guys, you, he was your beer buddy in Vienna. Is there, do, are, those, are those the kind of nights that you remember? The just you guys just having beers together and just. Yeah, and many tours that we did together. I mean, there were so many funny moments. You know, I could write a book actually. Really. <laughs> I'm sure. So funny moments. So many. Japan, Australia, the US, Europe, everywhere. I've been traveling the world with this guy, you know. We got on, on our nerves each other sometimes, but it's normal. He was like a, a brother, like family, and mm. family can get on your nerves. You all know that, you know, and, but you still love them. You still love them, you know. You can, you can have tense moments, but ultimately the, mm. you know, the greater picture always wins. That's Absolutely. part of the fun is driving each other crazy. Yeah, yeah you got to yeah, do it a normal. little bit. It's very normal. You yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> No, it's he. He was. I miss him a lot. 
really. Yeah, Tara had a great moment with with him, and we were doing an interview. We were interviewing Russell mm-hmm. Haswell and Philip Best and Peter on the same day, and she was sort of hanging out with everyone when we were interviewing yes. the other person. And she's her and Peter just were laughing so hard that we had to go out and tell them to cut it because it's coming through. So, you know, he it, was making me laugh so much and we were yeah, getting yeah. shushed like children. So then we couldn't stop great. laughing. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was really tough. I was crying like I, my face was wet. <laughs> he was incredible sometimes. Hilarious sometimes, you know, especially when he when he rediscovered his like arrogant British roots, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he could have this these really great, you know, arrogant British snobbish sayings sometimes. Which I loved. So, so good. So like you said, you're setting up your new studio now. What is in the imminent future? Do you have more touring. I mean, you were just in LA, but you were only here for like a day. And unfortunately, we were actually our schedules didn't work out, and we were unable to to make it. But you, were you doing a US tour, or were you just in for that show? Oh, I was doing a US tour. Yeah, for almost it was a full three tour. weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been everywhere, even to places like Iowa City. You know, which I only oh, wow. knew from old Western movies. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great. I liked it. Yeah, it was a full tour, east, west, north, south, everywhere. So um, I've already done a lot this year, so I should I should rest. <laughs> nice. So yes. no real shows planned for the rest of the year? Yeah. Um, July, August is, is off time, although I have to finish a, a small soundtrack work. And I should start working on a new album. Yeah. Then September, awesome. August, uh, uh, September, October, November is busy. And then December, January, I want to finish the album. And then is there anything coming out this year that you've already already done? A EP, collaboration, anything coming out uh, anytime soon? Well, there are a few things I just I even can't remember. Um, well, I just gave people a few sounds or played a bit of guitar on some mm. one's recorder. But there's not much. Um, yeah, mainly it's the film that I'm doing at the moment. It's a US film. Uh, it's an interesting thing. It's a short film, science fiction film, where cool. I did the music for, and uh, actually I have to finish it within the next days. Oh wow! But that was fun to do, and yeah, and then I need—I just need some quiet time, and then in September it's starting again. Many shows actually. Well, that sounds good. Well, we'll get your quiet time started now, and as we always tell people, go support artists and labels directly. There's a couple band camps between Migo and your own uh, mm-hmm. and touch. So most, if not all of your stuff is available up there. Of course, we'll have links up yeah. to all that stuff. And man, this was just so cool. It's so cool getting to talk to you. Like we said, we've just all been 
so into your work for so long and it's just great to great. really get a chance to sit down and, and talk to you for this. This is really cool. Yes, so thank thanks, you so much. Thanks thank so you. much for taking the time to do this with us. We really thank appreciate you guys. It. it was very enjoyable for me too. Awesome. Yay. Awesome. Well, everyone go check out the entire discography that like we were saying, the, the recent records, fantastic, but all the way back to hotel parallel, all the way back to instrument. You got a whole wealth of stuff there to check out. So go do that. And now let's give Christian a few months off before he has to get back. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Take care guys. Thank you. You've been listening to noise extra noise. Extra is brought to you by Chondritic sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years by Verdant weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices. And by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise. <laughs>